0: California weather, isn't it? No? (laughs) Well, I returned from California last weekend and uh, of course it's sunny day after day, although there was a little bit of rain down there. Um, I came back and I said to Shirley, I was away for three weeks actually, a week in Texas with the mission and then two weeks in the church in California. And I said to her, uh, as I've often said over the years, oh, those last two weeks were the most powerful I've ever experienced in the ministry. I don't know how many times I've said that, but um, anyway, the the last two weeks uh, in California were just wonderful, wonderful weeks. It was just absolutely amazing. And of course, I was able to meet our daughter who lives down there, and um, that's another story that was very, very good as well. So we're looking in John chapter 5, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be challenged by what I share today. And I trust that you will be as well. We're talking about the authority of Jesus. And rather than read all the verses from verse 18 through to 47, let me just read a few verses such as uh, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these that you will marvel. Um, Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. verse thirty seven as the and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent anyway. The authority of Jesus, uh, let me just give you five or six definitions of authority uh, that are just from the dictionary the The Greek word uh, for authority, just speak exousia, which you have heard of. Uh, speaks of authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, and strength. But here are some dictionary definitions. Authority, the power or right to give orders. Anyone like to give orders? (laughs) Uh, Make decisions and enforce obedience. A person or organization having power or control in a particular, typically political or administrative sphere. Uh, The power to influence others especially because of one's commanding manner or one's recognized knowledge about something. A power or right delegated or given. The power or right to control, judge or prohibit the action of others. Well, let me just take two of these. Uh, Authority, the power or right to give orders, make decisions and enforce obedience. And then the second, a power or right delegated or given a power or right, delegated or given. Some of the meanings of the word authority. And then, of course, Jesus, uh, we know, is Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Uh, My Father is working, verse 17 of John 5. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. So God was working, but Jesus was working It was the Father and the Son working together. Now, let me make a statement. Jesus could do anything. Do you agree with that? Jesus could do anything. Jehovah is salvation. Or could he? Could Jesus do anything? The Son of Man, Son of God. Could he do anything or could he? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, verse 6 says, "...who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." I'm reading from the NASV version. It says, he emptied himself. Jesus was fully God and yet he was fully man. But as God manifested in human flesh, he emptied himself. And that word in the, in the Greek means to make empty, that is to abase, neutralize, make of none effect, of no reputation, and so on. So Jesus walked this earth as a man. He was God and yet he laid aside the glory, the power, all that he had as God and walked this earth as a perfect man. Could he do anything? Well, in one sense he could, but in another sense no, no, no. As we see in verse 19, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. The son can do nothing of himself. Well, obviously he was working. My father is working until now and I myself am working. He was involved working with the father but he did not take initiatives in himself. He was continually looking to the Father. Father, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? And the Father showed him things, showed him what he was doing, and so he was willing to harmonize with what the Father was doing. And that's where the power is. That's where the power is. John chapter 5, verse 30. Again, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, could he do anything? I can do nothing on my own initiative. He was totally dependent upon the Father to hear what the Father was saying. And as he heard what the Father was saying, he responded to what the Father was saying to him. And John 16, verse 13, talks of the Holy Spirit. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So even the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, um, did not function in his own strength, as it were. He was relied upon the, the Father and the Son. Even the spirit of truth, he will not speak on his own initiative. But... I think of my own life, and I'm sure you think of yours, how often we do move on our own initiative, right? Is that correct? Ever done that? Just once or twice? (laughs) And uh, we step out by faith, of course, and we initiate things. We believe God is wanting us to initiate. But he was the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the finger of God, and he did not act on his own initiative, but only as he uh, heard what the Father was saying did he move. Uh, John 12, 49 and 50. I do not speak on my own initiative, Jesus said, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. John twelve forty nine and 50. I do not speak on my own initiative. So there's a place that God wants us to be as his people where we are seeing, we are hearing, we are sensing what the Father wants us to do and we step out to do that. And uh, it, it can be a command. Well, I'll look at that in a minute. Chapter 14, verse 10 of of John. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. I found as the years have gone by, it seems like I'm doing less, but somehow God is doing more. Anyone ever notice that as well? Uh, It's not that we're not working together with God, but... It comes to a place where our own strength comes to a place of brokenness to the end of itself. We're totally dependent upon the Lord and then we're working with him but he's doing the work. So I've often said it's like I'm doing less and yet somehow God is doing more. There's more fruit and yet I'm not laboring so hard. I'm not striving to reduce. I just just Friday just finished the last little pruning of a cup of apple trees um, normally they're done months ago, but I've been away and different things. Um, but I was cutting the grapes, and those grapes, the little pieces are, you know, full of moisture, full of sap, and um, maybe even now they'll start budding, even though they're cut off from the vine. But abiding, as the branches abide in the vine, are joined to the vine, then they produce, they produce, they produce. Not through striving, but just through being linked, tied into the vine. So John 15 verses 4 to 7, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, that, that, that last statement, man, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Are any of us in that place where we're so abiding, that whatever we ask God, he, he does for us? We, we've got a lot to learn, haven't we? So much more to experience in God. Three words, revelation, Declaration, confirmation. Or we could say revelation, activation, stepping out, confirmation. When God shows us something and we step out on that word or we speak that word out, a confirmation, the Holy Spirit always confirms the word that God gives us. We speak the word, the Father is working, but I am working, Jesus said. As we're working together with the Father, as we speak that word, as we step out on that word, something happens. Something happens, something happens. And that's why I said the last two weeks in California were just really outstanding as far as I was concerned. People, person after person, leader after leader I was praying for were just amazed at what God did in their lives. And I'm just as amazed. I'm not trying to produce it, it just happens. Because when we hear, we speak out that word, the Holy Spirit confirms that word. It may be in a dramatic way, it may be in a non-dramatic way. Uh, over now to John chapter 11, John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. I think we're all familiar with it. I've just used those words revelation, declaration, or activation and confirmation, but here's another word information. Information. Jesus received some information. Verse 1 Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So information came to Jesus. Was there pressure on him to act? I'm sure there was some pressure through his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Um, Information, information, but what did Jesus do? I'm sure he just lifted his heart to the Father. Father, what do you want me to do? Here's a great need, but what do you want me to do? And the father would have said to the son, uh, Just wait. Just wait. Don't hurry off. Because Jesus waited some time. And when he did go, it was like too late. In the natural, it was too late. Lazarus had died. Jesus, if you'd have come, you know, my brother wouldn't have died. <laughs> you came too late. But no, he came right on time. He came on the time the Father wanted him to come, even though Lazarus had been in the tomb for some days and his body was even smelling as it was decaying. But it was the right time. And we can get information, and often we act on that information, but it's not the time to act on that information. Or maybe God would say to us if we could hear his voice, uh, no, don't you do that, I want someone else to do that. Or you can do it, but not today, next week. Information, information, information. But what is the Father wanting to do? And of course Jesus said roll away the stone and he spoke that command, Lazarus come forth. Jesus had authority. He exercised that authority and there were signs and wonders and miracles taking place. But I want to change the thought here to our authority, the believer's authority in Christ. But before we do, let's consider again what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and Syria is a huge country by size. Throughout all Assyria the word went out, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Uh, Matthew nine, verse thirty five, speaking of Jesus, exercising authority. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He just didn't heal people who had headaches. I'm not trying to be unkind when I say that. He was healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. And then going to John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. And that word greater means larger, greater or more. I want to read a page from my favorite devotional, The Book of Mysteries by Jonathan Carton. This is day 133 The Private and the General. This is the teacher sitting with one of the students. We were sitting where the campfire would have been if it had been lit, but it was morning. There was no fire and we were alone. In an army, said the teacher, who has the most authority? The general, I answered. Correct, he said. He submits to no other rank but exercises authority over every other rank. Now, who in an army has the least authority? The private. That's correct. The private is the opposite. He submits to all other ranks and exercises no authority over any other. He paused for a few moments, then spoke again. A riddle. When does the private have the same authority as the general? Never, I said, or he wouldn't be a private. But there is a time when the private exercises the same authority as the general. It's when the private is carrying out an assignment given to him by the general. When a private carries out a directive, an errand, a mission, or an order given to him by the general, then with regard to that directive he carries the general's authority. Every other soldier, every rank, every captain and colonel must yield to him in the fulfilling of his assignment. Before him every gate must open and every door must be unlocked. Now, said the teacher, let's take it to the ultimate in the universe who has all authority. God. Yes, he is the general. And who has the least authority? Us, man. Yes. So when does the private, you, bear the authority of the general, God? Uh, When we carry out the assignment given us by God, when we carry out his mission. Exactly, he replied. If you live outside the will of God, if you act against it, then you will live and act with the authority of a private, which is to have no authority. But if you live inside the will of God, if you follow the directives of God, if you carry out his assignment, if you set your course on fulfilling his mission, then you will live in the authority of God. Then every rank in this universe must yield to your steps, every door must unlock, and every gate must open. So make it your aim to live your life wholly in the will of God, find your mission and fulfill it, and you will walk in the power and authority of the Almighty. And the mission? Today, aim to walk fully in the will of God, carry out a mission from the general, and as you walk in his will, walk also in his authority. So that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, Privates. corporals (laughs) sergeants captains (sighs) the believers authority Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness Oh, we, we just read in Matthew 9 that Jesus went around healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness but now Jesus gave them authority to do the same. Uh, Matthew 10 verse 5: uh, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. Verse 7: As you go, preach, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is at hand." Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely received, freely give. Mark 6 verses. Uh, 7 to 13. Well, some of these verses will read. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 12. They went out and preached that men should repent and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Luke 24 verse 46 to 49. And he said to them, he had risen from the dead, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So in order to fulfill this commission of Jesus, they needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth now he had risen from the dead. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts chapter one, verse eight you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Mark 16, 15 to 20. Verses we're familiar with, but the thing is we can know things, we can have information, but are we functioning or endeavoring to function in these areas where we have been given authority? Verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples after having rebuked them for their unbelief, because they had not believed what the women said, that he had risen from the dead. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. They were doing their part. They were working. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed Jesus was doing his part. So we see supernatural authority the cast out demons (coughs) supernatural languages to speak in languages that had never been learned supernatural protection in times of danger supernatural power to heal the sick. Now, I've got some personal illustrations here, but um, maybe I should go on to this book I have in my hand, uh, Living a Life of Fire by Reinhard, Reinhard Bonke. And a few weeks ago, when I was speaking, I uh, asked the question uh, Have you heard of Reinhard Bonke? This is his autobiography, 636 pages plus photographs. And I was surprised that just one or maybe two hands went up. And then I asked about Billy Graham. Who's heard of Billy Graham? Of course, hands went up everywhere. Well, Billy Graham and Ron Hap Bonke, you know, are, are evangelists working in the same time zone in their lives. Um, Ron Hap Bonke is one of the greatest evangelists in our, in our generations, at least, as Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists. But the difference between Ron Hap Bonke and Billy Graham is that Billy Graham preached the word people responded to salvation. But Reinhard Bonnke preached the word with signs and wonders following. And um, let me just read a little from the beginning of this book. Reinhard Bonnke, of course, is German. Uh, I've I've driven through the village in which he was uh, born. Used to be part of Prussia. It's now part of Poland, Eastern Poland. But let me just read the first page of this chapter one, his autobiography. I sit quietly with an explosive building inside of me, with an explosion building inside of me. I lean forward to the edge of my seat. My hands explore the cover of my preaching Bible as my foot taps a nervous dance on the platform. Every molecule of my body anticipates what is about to happen. I think you would feel the same if you were in my shoes. It is a tropical night in northern Nigeria. We are in the heart of Africa. The air is warm and moist and full of sound. A local gospel group performs a melody of praise accompanied by a snakeskin drum. A chorus of birds, frogs and incense join them from the surrounding trees. The vast crowd standing in front of me radiates heat and expectancy. Nearly 700,000 tribesmen have walked for many miles to the site. Many of them are Muslims. Their upturned faces draw me like a moth to the flame. uh, 2,400,000 will attend in five nights of preaching. 2,400,000 More than 1.4 million will accept Jesus as Saviour at the invitations Follow-up teams will disciple each one Anticipation makes my heart race What about yours? As you begin to read my story, I wonder what are you like me? Does the prospect of seeing the great commission of Christ fulfilled drive you day and night? If not, then I pray that the story of my life will light a fire in you A fire that will change everything a holy fire that will convince you that nothing is impossible with God. I see that some in the crowd tonight are crippled. Some lie sick on pallets. Others lean on crutches. Not all will be healed, but some of these crippled will walk. I must tell you, when they walk, I will dance with them across the platform. Wouldn't you? Some are blind, and some of those blind will see. I cannot explain why, but in Muslim areas I see more blind eyes open. I wish everyone could be with me to see it. Chronic pains leave bodies, cancerous cancerous growths disappear. These are but a few of the signs that follow the preaching of the good news. Now, he's just talking about this present time. He then gives honor to a man in chapter 2 whose name was Ludwig Graf, um, born in Germany, then immigrated to America, was an American citizen, and came back to visit Germany um, just uh, after the Second World War and he was driving from the south of Germany to the north and he kind of got lost and came into this little village that only had about 12 homes today it's still just a small village or town but it's where Reinhard Bonke was born and um, this young guy stops um, he engages in conversation um, and he says is there anyone in this village that's sick I want to pray for them And uh, the man that talked to him said, Are you a doctor? No, I'm a preacher, but I represent the great physician. Um, Let me say something to you, Gerhard. If I pray for someone who is sick, you will see them here. Will you believe that I am sent here to preach the gospel? Will you listen to me? And slowly the baker began to smile and nod. And then, is anyone sick in this village? Twelve homes. And the, the baker puts his hand up to his ear. Listen. A few moments later, this terrible cry, ah! and again the cry comes, and again the cry comes. This is the grandfather of Reinhard Bonke. He was to be born 19 years later. Uh, He was the chief in the village. He ran the mill, owned the mill, but he had been for some years struggling with some debilitating condition. Doctors couldn't help him, but he was in pain day and night, and he would cry out in agony day and night, and everyone would hear it in, in the small village. So he said, I want to pray for him. And so uh, this man called Reinhardt's father, who was then 19, "Go um, go and tell this man that there's a preacher here who wants to pray for him. Just imagine if you were that preacher. He drove in a Mercedes. So there was hardly any vehicles around. This was 1923, I believe, and he had this beautiful Mercedes. He was a rich man now. He was doing well in America, driving through the country, and uh, you know, think of all the horses and the plows and everything else. Here's a guy driving a motor car into this area. So, oh yes, Reinhardt said, um, "My father was just 17 years at the time. The sick man was August Bonke. He was my grandfather." Now, chapter 4. He entered August Bonquet's household. He announced that the Holy Spirit had been sent for a demonstration of the power of God that would make all things new. Divine healings were signs and wonders to confirm the preaching of the gospel. He took the sick man by the hand and commanded that he rise and be made whole in the name of Jesus. August felt a jolt of heaven's power surged through his body. He leapt from his sickbed and stood trembling like a criminal around whom the walls of prison had just fallen. He looked at his arms and legs as if the iron chains that had just been struck from them. He felt his once swollen and inflamed joints, that they were renewed to a supple and youthful state. His wife, Marie, who had been at his bedside for years, began to weep. He began to walk, then to run, then to leap, then to shout. He grabbed his wife and embraced her with tears running freely down his face. A moment ago he, was, he had been unable to enjoy the, endure the slightest touch on his skin. Now he was a man set free of pain. He was free indeed. He could embrace life again. And embrace it he did. A new life of health and vigor had been given to a man condemned by an evil and tormenting disease. August Bonke would never be the same and, and would never, until the day that he died, fail to testify what God had done for him that day in Troons. So this was the grandfather of Reinhard Bonke, a miracle. And so right at the beginning of the story, um, he wants to honor that man who visited the village and who prayed for his grandfather, who never saw the miracles that were to follow through um, this grandson as he got older. And then it's a very, I find a fascinating story of of, um, how the father, he was in the Second World War, um, was in the German military, he had no idea what the Nazis were doing had no idea of the concentration camps and when he came back to his home after the war he was in shock and he felt so ashamed that he had been supporting a regime that had been doing such terrible things to those minorities and to the Jewish people and he grieved much but he became a pastor of of, of the village church, just a small village church and uh, he had other sons and he thought his mantle would fall on his older son but Reinhardt was the one that had the mantle and he kept wanting to preach and do things, but the father just pushed him aside, pushed him aside, pushed him aside. Like David with the sons of uh, Jesse, right? Just pushed them aside. But it was Reinhardt who was the one that was going to be anointed by God with a burden to go to Africa. Africa, Africa, Africa. <coughs> well, he finally gets to Africa, and he's preaching to crowds of some thousands. But it wasn't too long before he's preaching to tens of thousands, before he's preaching to hundreds of thousands. And of course the people would meet in the open air and he wanted to build a big tent. Couldn't be done. He wanted to build a tent, I think it was the size of six football fields, <laughs> would take 34,000 people. Anyway, there was a company that were able was able to build that tent, but they only used it just the first few meetings because it was too small. 34,000 filled the tent, thousands outside, so they actually gave that tent away to another organisation. And so hundreds of thousands would come to the meetings. 200,000, 500,000, 800,000. In fact, in, um, uh, I just looked up some things here, in 2001, 3,630,000 souls were saved in the first three months. 2002, in the first three months, in three Nigerian crusades, 4,000,000 868, 547 souls accepted Jesus. I mean, this guy was reaching multitudes, multitudes, multitudes. And when he began to pray, after he'd done the preaching, gave the call for salvation, the first thing he prayed against was blindness. And he would say, blind eyes be opened. And all over that vast crowd, and there are pictures here of the crowds, um, not everyone who was blind would see, but eyes were opened. Crippled would walk. Cancerous growths would drop off. I mean, signs and wonders and miracles Just like we've been reading in the Bible. Now, I'm not a follower of Reinhard Bonnke. I think I've been to his website once um, years ago because um, he put out a special video at the time, before DVDs. Um, He was in an African country, either Ghana or maybe Nigeria, and he was asked to dedicate a new church building. And so I went online to see if I could find that testimony. A pastor had been involved in a car accident three days earlier and had died. The steering wheel had come into his chest and crushed him, so he was dead. But Hebrews talks about women received by resurrection, received their dead back by resurrection. This wife, this pastor's wife, was believing God to raise her husband from the dead. And so the three days after he had died, she had the body driven to this church, this new facility, and tried to take the body into the auditorium, but she was hindered from doing so. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. She took that body, that dead body, and went down under where the pulpit was, so downstairs in the building, and they put a table there, and she laid the body on the table. Ron had, Ron had had no idea what was going on. He was up here preaching away. The body was down there, and during that service, that man was raised from the dead by the power of God. And, um, you know, the death certificates, all the verified miracles, it's all in writing. Um, It's just an amazing story. So here's a guy (laughs) being used of God from a little village in Prussia, a little village that's now in eastern Poland, uh, the son that was just neglected by the father, and yet God had called him, and he was seeing greater works even. Well, he was seeing great works, put it that way. I mean, how many of us have raised anyone that's been dead? Can I see your hand? Um, how many of us have seen cancerous growth drop off people when we pray for them? Our friend Vince Esterman, who's a church planter in the Indian Ocean. Um, he was pioneering planting churches in France for 21 years. He prays for people. He's seen cancerous growth drop off people. Just amazing, 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 amazing. Anyway, lots and lots of people being reached by this evangelist and it's happening today. Well, actually, just a few years back, he, he handed over his work, the main preaching, to one of his staff, a guy called Daniel Kolender. I think he's from Finland. Um, a pastor friend of mine in Germany said to me some years ago, he was talking to Reinhardt because they were friends, and he said, you know, I've got no one to take over the ministry when I, when I pass on. He said, I'm thinking of um, just closing everything down. Once you know I, I, I finish, once once I die, to close the whole ministry down. But God did have someone in mind and he was on the staff. And so there's a young evangelist and there's a picture of him here now and he's doing the preaching and all these big crusades that continue to this day. I'm sure Ron Hart is still involved, still preaching, but the main responsibility has been taken over by this younger man. He must be, I don't know how old he is, probably in his late 20s or early 30s, something like that. But here's a man, here are men that have a call on their lives as evangelists and we're not called to do what these men are doing and um, I can't do what they do but in our own sphere of influence we can say, Lord I want to see what you're doing, I want to hear what you're saying, I, I want to speak the words that you give to me so we can be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit not doing anything on our own initiative but trusting in God to work in us and through us. So I, I could say more. I've got, um, I'll tell you one story and I'll conclude. It's to do with Germany. Uh, there's a Bible school I've gone to many times in Germany. Uh, great Bible school. It, the property is a beautiful property in the small town overlooking um, the surrounding countryside. It was a uh, uh, property used by the Nazis during the Second World War. It was a place where mechanics were trained, and uh, it's just it's a beautiful location. But it's now a Bible school. And the last time I was in touch with the Bible school, they were having problems. They didn't have enough accommodations in the school, in the small town, to, to handle all the people wanting to come to the Bible school. So that's a good problem to have, isn't it? Wonderful. Well, um, each time I would go, I had an interpreter, Her husband was a former Lutheran minister, just a wonderful, wonderful couple with two beautiful uh, young ladies, their daughters. And I was told that she was an excellent interpreter, an excellent interpreter. And so on this occasion, I was in the quarters where visiting speakers stayed and I'm praying for this interpreter early in the week and her husband was with us, so the three of us were there. And I was endeavouring to say, Lord, I can't do anything on my own initiative. Lord, what do you want to do? I mean, I had information and needs in her life, but um, we can have information, but does God want us to do something? Does he want us to act on that information? So in my heart, I can do nothing of myself, but Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? So I began to pray, and I began to speak out words, revelation, declaration, confirmation, and God was obviously doing something in her life that was very, very good. And then God showed me something, And I don't think I'd ever discerned this particular need before. And I prayed something like this. I break the fear of war. The fear of war in the name of Jesus. I break this fear in your life. And that word just, if you were there, it just broke that woman open. It was just an amazing thing to witness. The power of God just burst in and opened her up and she just wept and wept and wept and wept. And it was just an amazing time as the Holy Spirit just put his finger on an area that was deep in her life. And I guess we must have prayed in that area for some time. And then when the prayer was over, she just was sitting in the lounge and just back and she said, I've never felt such peace in all of my life. I, I've never felt such peace in all of my life. And she kept saying it and saying it. And the next day and the next day and the next day as we walked together to the auditorium, to, to speak to the students. He kept saying, "I've never oh this peace, oh this peace, Oh this peace, I've never experienced such peace in all of my life. God dealt with a root, the root the fear of war. And when that prayer time was over that day, she shared with me and her husband, I guess her husband, you. Um, her father had been um, in, the, in the German military in the Second World War. And uh, he had been a farmer, but he was recruited into the uh, the army. And he had been captured by the Russians, put in a Russian concentration camp as they were retreating out of Russia. Uh, and when she grew up, her father told her many a story about the war. Terrible, terrible stories about the war. In fact, when he was in that concentration camp, that prisoner of war camp, uh, he was treated rather well because as they were retreating through Russia, uh, he was told to destroy this this whole village, burn all the homes, and he didn't do it. He disobeyed a superior officer's command. And that would mean uh, difficulty for him in the future. But he also had been a poor farmer in the past, and he, he just said, I couldn't destroy these homes from these farmers. Um, being a farmer myself before going into the military, but when he was in this prisoner of war camp, some of the people in that village recognised him as the one that stopped the homes being burned down. So there was some favour upon him. But when he came back from the war, and I don't know when she was born in relation to the Second World War, but he told story after story, and it put a fear into her life of another war in Europe. And it was a deep, deep, deep fear, unknown to others, unseen by others, but deep on the inside, this fear This torment was there. Uh, Jesus, he knows what he's doing. And as we say, Lord, I don't know what to do today as I deal with this situation, as we deal with this and that, would you please show me? The Lord can show us things. And that's another sermon in itself. Uh, He can speak to us. And as we hear and see what God is doing and we speak out that word or act upon that word, confirmation the Holy Spirit works. So when I say two wonderful weeks in California, or three wonderful weeks, but particularly in California, it's because of this very dimension I'm talking about. Are we in a place where we know we can do nothing on our own initiative? I know I can't. Years ago, I drew aside to wait upon the Lord at the Lord's direction, thinking it would be a few weeks, not realizing it would be one and a half years, waiting on God, morning, afternoon, and night. And during that time, something broke in me. My own strength broke. Uh, I died to this world. I died to God's call to be a preacher. I just died. I died to selfish ambition, and that's a good thing to die to. But from that time, I found a resurrection life springing up in my life, and I found myself entering into things I'd never experienced before. I was doing less, but God was doing more. So here's the book. It's a big book. Um, It's not that expensive even though it's 600 plus pages but it's very, very inspiring. It really is. Um, What's happening, not 2,000 years ago but what's happening today through this ministry I think the ministry is called Christ for All the Nations. Christ for the Nations? No, it's Christ for All the Nations. There's Christ for the Nations out of Texas but this is Christ for All the Nations. God's doing these things. Um, We may not hear of it, we may not know of it, but these things are happening in our world today and how we need these things to be happening. Anyway, let's just pray. Father, you know I am challenged through your word and I'm challenged through the testimony of this man that's been so greatly used of you in our time. Oh Lord, we need you to be working in and through our lives. We need you in this nation. America needs you. The Western world desperately needs you. Oh God, oh God, oh God. We need the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We do, Lord. We are so distressed at what is happening in the world and particularly in our Western world as we have rejected you and your word and we've just gone down to embrace all sorts of other stuff and we're struggling and we're suffering because we've rejected you. Lord, please work in us individually. Please work in us and as a church that uh, we will be able to see what you're doing and harmonize with that, able to hear what you're saying and, and walk and step out on the direction of your word. But thank you for what you're doing and thank you for the commission we've received. Help us, Lord, to do our part in this great commission. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.